Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. for every believer when we are walking in the truth and in the knowledge that comes from God when we are experiencing him daily in our lives that's when our joy becomes full and that's even when the enemy comes in attacking us when there's battles around us If we are walking in the truth, if we're walking in the knowledge of God, if I am desiring to experience Him on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, even with the attack of the enemy, our joy can still be full. John proclaimed one reason he wrote three letters to the early church was so that their joy might be made complete. He longed for the believers to have a truth of the knowledge of God and the good news of Jesus so that it would transform their lives. Pastor David teaches today in this introductory overview lesson that John wanted the church to recognize the lies and liars so that they could walk in the truth of God and have full, abundant life. And this life is full of joy despite difficulties and daily trials. Now here's Pastor David as he continues his message, Intro to the John Epistles. look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we realize that if it is John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, he's also the one who wrote the fourth gospel account. He's also the one who wrote the book of Revelation. But these three letters are different than the gospel account, different than the Revelation. And as a matter of fact, the first of these three is even different than the other two. The first one seems to be a pretty well straightforward uh, warning, uh, writing, directing at some pretty well common sense situations, really for every believer, both a new believer as well as those that are seasoned in the faith. And he touches uh, a little bit on all of them. And the issues that John is dealing with in this first century church are actually still issues that we deal with today in modern times. When we read through that, it reads like a listing of theological statements or, or declarations and arguments then for them why these things are so. It's not limited to the first century. Many of those things, though they rose up in the first century, we see them go as in waves all through the history of the church. And like I said, even today, some of those things that John directly deals with and that we see in some ways and forms today are teachings such as what's known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, uh, that's G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I. 
ISM, Gnosticism. Well, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosticos, and it simply means having knowledge. And there was a group of people that were called the Gnostics, and two of the main issues of Gnosticism that really attacked the very basics of Christianity. The first one was that the Gnostics believed in what's called dualism. The idea of dualism is in reference to spirit and matter. Anything that deals with matter, the Gnostics believed was evil. You know, so the flesh was evil. Anything of matter is evil. But the spirit, on the other hand, is good. And so they felt that, again, for you and I as individuals, within us we have the spirit, but we also had matter, our physical bodies. Because of that separation that they felt that they was the real deal, they felt that anything done in the body didn't really matter since real life itself existed in the spirit. And in essence, the belief came down to being able to do anything in the flesh And their belief was that it had nothing to do and didn't affect the spirit at all. They were totally separated. Now, you start teaching that in the church, what happens? Well, people start living like the devil all week, and then they come in in church and, you know, try and get real spiritual. And, well, that was a real press. And you know what? That still happens today within the church. The second primary area that uh, they had a problem with, they were leading the church, was their claim as Gnostic that they possessed a an elevated knowledge. They had this higher truth that only a few were able to obtain. And that's why the name, the Gnostics, the ones with the knowledge. And the problem was that this higher truth wasn't obtained by studying the word of God. No, it was just it just came upon them through some mystical realm. They didn't even claim that it was the Holy Spirit of God. It's just that, you know, I'm one that has the greater knowledge too bad about you. You know, I have that knowledge, but you don't. Or maybe you do, but you, the rest of you don't. And this whole thing, Gnostics saw themselves as a privileged class. They were elevated above everyone else by their higher, their deeper knowledge of things, things of the divine. So the compatibility of Gnosticism and Christianity is really non-existent. You cannot have Gnosticism and Christianity working within the same realm because, again, they are so opposing. They believed that salvation comes through this acquisition of knowledge. And the more knowledge that you had, the stronger your salvation. But that's exactly opposite of what the word of God says. The word of God says that our salvation comes by grace through faith. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but it's not knowledge that saves you. It's the grace of God through faith. And even the Pharisees, with their abundance of knowledge and studying of the scripture continually, guess what? Jesus told them, remember in John chapter three, what did John tell Nicodemus had to happen? He had to be born again. Oh, Nicodemus, you're almost there. If you could just gain a little bit more knowledge, you'd be saved. No, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, there's no way in the world. There's no way in heaven you're going to be able to see heaven. Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are the ones that testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me in order that you may have life. In other words, just increase knowledge. 
does nothing if you do nothing with the knowledge you gain. Increased knowledge does nothing if you do nothing with the knowledge that you've gained. You need to act upon that knowledge. You come to a knowledge of the truth. Hey, I know what the gospel means. I know what it means to be saved or how to be saved. Well, if you don't move on it, just knowledge will do you no good. Well, along with this influx of Gnosticism, there was also another teaching called Docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And that's the belief that Jesus didn't have real flesh and blood body. It appeared as though he did, seemed on the outside that he did, but it wasn't real flesh and blood. But the problem that you run into with that, again, it is a denial of some of the very core beliefs of Christianity. If Jesus didn't have a real flesh and blood body, then how could he be tempted in the same way as you and I are? And as Hebrews says, man, we have this great high priest that was tempted in the same ways. He knows who we are, and yet he was without sin. How could he have really and truly suffered at the hands of the Romans in the same way that Isaiah had prophesied that he would in Isaiah chapter 53, when Isaiah, he was beaten, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. If he didn't have a real flesh and blood, you can't hurt that if it's just the spirit. The results of the crucifixion and even his death would have been absolutely worthless if he was just spirit and just appeared to be in human body. Romans 5.10 tells us, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life because he had a physical body, a physical presence in reality, flesh and blood, he experienced a real death, a real and true death, and he experienced a real and true resurrection from the dead. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 tells us, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He had to have a flesh and blood body in order for all that to take place. If he had no real body, he couldn't have been truly resurrected. And without the resurrection, guys, Paul tells us in Romans chapter one that he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Romans six verses four and five tells us, therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And if there's no flesh and blood body, that meant that there was no real death. That meant that there could not be a resurrection. And so suddenly every teaching that we have on the resurrection becomes absolutely worthless, of no account at all. So there had to be a physical body. So docetism has no coherence at all with the truth of Christianity. One other heresy that seems to be a point that John comes against in the teachings actually comes from a man by the name of Serenthus. 
Now, Serenthus himself, a lot of problems with his teachings, but two of them that stand out most directly and two of them that actually appear as the two that John combats or comes against in this letter. We don't have any of the original writings of Serenthus available, but the early writings of the early church father, Arrhenus, he spoke about these teachings, and it kind of brings us the idea of what he dealt with. Arrhenus says, first of all, Serenthus held to a form of Gnosticism, that felt that, catch this, God was so holy, he could have absolutely no direct dealings with human. He taught that Jesus was born only as a human, the son of both Joseph and Mary. In other words, there was no divinity at his birth. There's no divine conception on that. The divinity of Christ or the divine Christ descended upon the man, Jesus, at his baptism, according to Serenthus, and then on the cross before the sin of man was placed upon Jesus, the Spirit left him. And thus the saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see where his brain is going with that. But again, it does away with the divinity of Christ. Suddenly it's only the the Christ consciousness or the spirit of the Christ coming upon this man, Jesus. Secondly, because God is holy, according to, again, his his teachings, God didn't even create the world, but he had a lesser God that did all that dirty little piece of work of forming the earth and, and everything about it. There's so much wrong with the beliefs that he has here that separates the love and the care that God has for us as his creation, why God formed us, why God placed us, and what God's plans and purposes are. It does away with God's personal intervention within our lives. And the fact that we know that God cares for us, that he wants to be involved with our lives in a very direct and a very personal way. Now, these three areas that were making headway into the church even in the first century. And John, now as he writes these, he's an older apostle. He's pastored, and some believe that he was probably pastoring in the city of Ephesus at the time that he's writing this. And actually, First John very possibly being written as a teaching or as a, as a message, a sermon to the church there in Ephesus. Well, John feels this overwhelming love, his concern for the church, and he felt that he needed to address these issues, and he does it very directly in 1 John. So as we go into the study, you're going to see his arguments against these forms of heresies, and we'll talk about it as we get into there. Now, as far as the content of the first letter, John knew that the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth was absolutely paramount for the Christian's growth. The knowledge doesn't save us, but after we're saved, we need to come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to grow in the knowledge of the truth. He fully, he understood, we're not saved by knowledge, but we mature as believers. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, John uses that word, ginosko, again, to know or to grow in knowledge over 25 times within that first book of 1 John. Now, in addition, he also uses another word, oida. Now, oida is very similar to gnosko. It means also to know or to be aware of, to have knowledge of, 
to perceive or to understand. He uses that word in addition another 15 times. John is not against knowledge. This is not a book that says, hey, you don't need to know anything, just this bare minimum. No, we need to grow in knowledge and understanding. But he wants us to have the right knowledge and the knowledge of the truth. And he writes to encourage believers to remain faithful to the truth that we know. To know the truth and yet not walk in it, how foolish is that? What does the word say? To know the right thing to do and not to do it is what, church? Sin. So again, yes, grow in knowledge, but as you grow in knowledge, you mature in knowledge to walk in that knowledge. Now, just another little sidelight here. The difference between Gnosko and Oida is very interesting. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, uh, Gnosko frequently suggests the inception or growing the progress of knowledge, okay? While Oida itself suggests the fullness of knowledge. So Gnosko is growing in knowledge. Oida is the absolute, the containment, the fullness of it. Give you a couple of examples. John 13, 7. Jesus is saying, what I am doing, you do not understand now. In other words, Peter didn't yet perceive Oida. He did not understand. He didn't come to the fullness yet at that point. But then Jesus goes on. He says, but you will know, he uses the word ginosko, you will get to know, you will grow in knowledge later. You're not there yet. You do not know now, but you will know at a later point. In John 14, 7, he uses both of the words in the same way again. Jesus saying, if you had known me, grown in knowledge of me, he uses the word gnosko, if you've grown in that knowledge, then you would have known, and he uses the word oida, then you would have, again, come to a full knowledge of the Father. If we grow in the knowledge of Jesus, guess what? We are coming to know God in a complete way. As we grow in Christ, we come to know God in a complete way. It's not just a perception, not just a perceived notion, but we have an understanding. It's that revealed knowledge. Now, we're going to find that John uses both of these words in significant ways as we get into his letter. There are things that we as believers, we absolutely, we need to grow in knowledge. While there are other things that as believers, guess what? The Holy Spirit just imparts to us. As believers, it just comes to a knowledge that the Lord gives us. Some areas are the responsibility of the individual as we learn and in our growing process, while there's other areas that the Holy Spirit working in our lives supernaturally gives us that that fullness of understanding that's actually beyond our experience. Now, the problem comes is when you and I say, Lord, if you want me to know who you are, just reveal it totally. And I believe the Lord comes back to us and says, I have revealed it to you. The problem is you need to read it. You need to study it. I mean, how many of us as students, you know, wouldn't love to go in on test day and say, Lord, give me the knowledge that I need. Amen? And we've not cracked a book the entire semester. Prayed that pretty many times. I want to tell you, it doesn't work. It does not work. There is a responsibility that we have. Yes, the Holy Spirit will enlighten us in many ways. But we have a responsibility to grow 
in our own lives. So what are the things that John wants the church to know or to understand? What are the things that we are gonna see here? Well, one of the clues that he gives us is the reasons that he himself states of why he's writing this letter. And he gives us four very direct reasons. If you've got your Bible, hopefully you are at 1 John right now. Let's look at a couple of the reasons that John himself says He has written this letter to the church. And I say written to you because, again, this is a word, yes, to the first century church, but it's also a word to the 21st century church. It's a word perhaps to the church of Ephesus, but it's also a word to the church of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande or anyone who might be listening to this message even by radio. The first reason that he says that he wrote this is found down in chapter 1, verse 4. Look at there. He says, These things we write to you, for what reason? That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. For you and I, for every believer, when we are walking in the truth and in the knowledge that comes from God, when we are experiencing him daily in our lives, that's when our joy becomes full. And that's even when the enemy comes in attacking us when there's battles around us, if we are walking in the truth, if we're walking in the knowledge of God, if I am desiring to experience him on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, even with the attack of the enemy, our joy can still be full. Understand, the first century church was going through a lot of stuff. But you know what? If we are troubled by every wind of doctrine, if we're pulled around by every new wave of belief that comes up, There's no peace in our life. We're always continually struggling to find the next new thing. And this is one of the oldest tricks of the enemy. Guys, he started that trick out back in the garden when he said, in essence, to Eve, God's word isn't enough. God's word isn't sufficient. And in the end, we found out that Satan's word was the one that wasn't true. Because when Adam and Eve bit into that lie, the joy that they had been experiencing in their life as they walked with God suddenly vanished. And they were left naked in the world and all of the thorns and the deceits of everything around them suddenly began to stumble them up. It's when they were walking in obedience to the word that their joy was full. But when the enemy came and said, oh, that's not enough. They believe that lie. In response to those false teachers, bringing in these false doctrines, even Jesus himself said that the thief comes in to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But that he himself, that Jesus himself, came in to give life and to give it more abundantly. Here in 1 John, John wants the church to recognize the liar's and their lies. He wants the church to walk in truth, and he knows that only when they walk in that truth, that only then they can have that true joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's actually three other reasons why he says here in John why he writes this book to us, and that's your homework Look through the rest of 1 John. It's only five chapters long. Very quick, easy to read. 
But look through, I write these things, or I've written to you because, or for this reason, I've written those. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Thanks for joining Pastor David today to study the letters of the Apostle John here on The Open Word. Though our program will come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue uninterrupted. In fact, we encourage you to study today's passage on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us Saturday, Sunday, or Wednesday for our weekly gatherings at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find service times and directions by clicking the church link at theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray, too, for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially need prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts will be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Thank you for praying and thank you for being a listener to The Open Word. It's more.